Hello everybody and welcome to today's live stream. If you are in business for a few years, then you know that over the last years, especially um, the topics direct to consumer or e-commerce are um, yeah, really hot topics, um, not to say they are treated as kind of a holy grail of um, business. And um, therefore, what we want to have a look at today is, um, yeah, can e-commerce, can direct-to-consumer actually um, fulfill the promises um, it's making or it has made? And um, yeah, try to answer the question, why are so many direct-to-consumer or so, direct, so many e-commerce companies actually failing? But before we do that, um, yeah, let me know if you can see and hear me loud and clear if all the tech is working. And um, yeah, as usual, we have a 10, 20 second delay during these live streams um, to minimize that. Um, what usually helps is when you set the speed in your play bar to 1.5, that usually causes, um, yeah, therefore, so that you catch up and actually are in the live stream. So let's try jump um, yeah, right into it. Why do so many e-commerce companies fail? Um, I want to look at a few popular examples and um, yeah, I'm more than interested to hear your thoughts or maybe the examples you might have. But um, yeah, I want to pick a few that you might have heard of over the last years, um, maybe you saw their marketing, maybe you own a product of them, um, whatever it might be. And one that you might heard of um, is Casper, um, a mattress company. Um, I think they were founded 2010, 2012, something um, yeah, around these dates. And um, one of the poster childs of direct-to-consumer brands um, over the last years and um, yeah, Casper is one of the companies, one of the e-commerce direct-to-consumer companies that is losing money every month. Then a company that especially became yeah, well-known or famous um, during the pandemic um, where more and more people uh, yeah, had to stay at home or couldn't go to the gym and therefore um, yeah, bought or rented or had a subscription model for um, home equipment. That was basically the idea or the business model of Peloton. And um, they also are losing money every month. And um, I think they also um, are almost bankrupt and maybe yeah, they got taken private and got taken off the market. They also don't look too good right now. And then another company, um, also yeah, retail and direct-to-consumer, Manscaped. Um, yeah, a lot of these ads are popping up over the internet, YouTube, podcasts, and so on over the last years. And um, also the same, yeah, same story here. Uh, they announced a loss of more than 300 million US dollar last year in 2021. So. Um, and these are only the most famous ones um, that you know and heard of. So um, the question then becomes, okay, what are the reasons? Um, why are there, or if e-commerce or if uh, the idea or the premise of direct-to-consumer is so good or is so 
promising. Um, why are there so many companies failing or why are there so few companies succeeding? And that's what I want to explore a little bit um, today and share some of my experience that I had over the last years. And as always, if you have any questions, use the chat function over there or there, depending on which social media platform you're watching right now. So in my experience, what makes a really big difference um, in the outcome or in the success or in the overall structure of the business um, is the question, are we talking about a VC funded startup or generally speaking, a funded uh, company that is fueled by external money? Or are we talking about a bootstrapped already existing retail company and when i mean bootstrap i mean yeah in a conservative sense meaning yeah growing organically um yeah being profitable and growing on a normal healthy pace and rate without yeah too much um, external capital or too much leverage if at all and usually also with an existing customer and um, therefore revenue base so these are usually the two different kind of yeah, companies um, that I had contact with or that I um, meet in my day-to-day yeah, -day work. And I want to yeah, focus a little bit on these two archetypes, maybe. Um, because at the end of the day, um, as far as I can tell, it comes down to a few simple principles or a few basic principles. Uh, mainly customer acquisition costs. For example, um, depending on yeah, your product um, or the industry you are in, um, can might have different um, sales channels or different ways to acquire new customers or to sell your products. For example, um, yeah, maybe you have your physical products um, yeah, in a classical um, retail environment, in a retail store, in a mall and um, are selling it through a third party vendor, for example. Or maybe um, yeah, you have a sales team um, that is selling the product directly to the end consumer, to the customer. Um, or maybe you are selling exclusively online through your website, through your app or through other online sales channels. And um, therefore, depending on what um, or about what area, what channel we're talking about here, um, that might be a big difference on the one hand, on the volume, on the overall yeah, marketing and sales uh, process, but also at the end of the day um, on the customer acquisition cost side of things. So I want to keep that in mind, or that's one of the main focus points um, that we have to focus on if you want to actually determine, okay, what are the reasons um, why a company is successful or what are the yeah, metrics, data points that we can actually use to make these predictions. And then, of course, on the other side, um, the customer lifetime value or the average order value, um, however you want to phrase that. Um, at the end of the day, it comes down to the question, right, how much value is or yeah, how value is a customer um, for you? And of course, then um, that depends on the product that you are selling. When you're selling a phone, 
in that case is a smartphone here that costs something between 500 and a thousand US dollar usually and probably the average consumer buys a new smartphone all two three years on average in the western hemisphere at least um, then we have another product like for example um, yeah, razor blades over here um, where you replace the product or the blades in that example um, yeah, every week or every month or on a much more frequent frequent basis on the other hand of course the price per little unit is much smaller than a smartphone or we're talking about a uh, yeah, way more expensive product like a car, which most people usually buy yeah, every few years, maybe only every few decades. And of course, um, yeah, we're talking about a way higher price point here. And um, depending how the whole business model is structured, um, that can affect the customer lifetime value massively and therefore um, can determine the yeah, success of a company massively for example when we're talking about a company like dollar shave club um, that kind of revolutionized and um, yeah changed the, yeah, the shaving industry if you want to um, by offering um, yeah that kind of subscription model um, that to that point was only kind of known in the software industry um, now they introduced that into the yeah, physical product world and offer the subscription model for razor blades. Um, we've seen the yeah, same developments in the car industry where we probably more switching to um, a car sharing environment. Um, yeah, driverless cars will also completely change that um, industry and technology and so on. And um, yeah, therefore, I think it's very important that every business owner, every decision maker operator needs to understand okay where's actually the value proposition where's the value created and um, how can you increase the customer lifetime value um, of your company because um, otherwise when we look at the increasing customer acquisition costs through the bank especially when we're talking about uh, online advertising online marketing um, which is often a big part of e-commerce or direct to consumer um, then we see that the costs to acquire a customer online uh, over the last years increased and increased and increased through yeah, all channels, all platforms, no matter if it's Facebook, Google, Amazon, and whatnot. And these are usually the three um, that yeah, basically share the, or have the lion's share of the whole advertising and marketing space online that are kind, these companies are kind of the gatekeepers here. And um, yeah, therefore, it's super important to uh, yeah, keep the, the customer acquisition costs on the one hand uh, as low as possible or to kind of deal with the increasing costs here on the one hand, but there's nothing really that you can do. So you maybe have to focus more on the question, okay, how can you create more value to your customer and therefore increase the customer lifetime value? And that's also where the big difference um, comes in between um, yeah, funded companies and um, bootstrapped companies um, because, again, a funded company that um, yeah, has maybe millions um, available, um, they can buy or can acquire new customers um, on a loss for some time as long as they are funded. Um, but sooner or later, yeah, that bubble is going to burst and compared to um, 
an existing uh, or profitable bootstrapped um, retail company with maybe an already existing um, customer base as a way better starting point um, might be already be profitable, has maybe already a list of customers where they can start from and therefore have way lower customer acquisition costs um, than maybe a startup or an e-commerce brand or direct-to-consumer brand that basically starts from zero and therefore has to pay a lot of money to acquire a new customer that has never heard before or never heard of that company before. And um, yeah, I want to show you a very short clip um, that, as far as I can tell, kind of yeah, really gets to the point what I'm trying to say here. You can no longer acquire at a certain point profitably in Google, Facebook, and Amazon, right? Your LTVs will get out of whack, right? Your um, gross margin positivity, all of a sudden, the gross margin negativity. I mean, forget about net profitability. These are fundamentally broken business concepts. They don't work. They only work if the money never stops. But the money never stops until as much time as people can raise new funds. And that's predicated on people marking up old deals. You see how this whole thing, like at no point is there anything that comes back to you, the entrepreneur, that says, what's your true core product market fit and is it working? It's not part of the conversation. Yeah, so let's talk about solutions. Um, we don't want to only talk about problems. Um, although one problem is for sure, um, yeah, if you don't really have product market fit, then you have to kind of force your product down the throat of your customers, and that's expensive. So, um, possible solutions. Um, generally speaking, I think a strong, a strong brand can reduce your customer acquisition costs, um, as you can see on that image here. If your customers are willing to literally camp in front of your stores overnight um, to wait um, to buy your product um, and to be one of the first ones that, that are able to buy your product, um, I think that's a, a very luxurious position to be in. And um, therefore, again, I think when you are already an established brand, um, maybe you are already an existing retailer, um, then you can often feed um, off that brand recognition that you already have and therefore have way lower um, customer acquisition costs, for example, online, meaning if you are already selling your products um, yeah, in a physical store and your customers already know you there, it's much more likely that they then also have a look at your website or your online store and buy your products or order your products there. <clears throat> Besides, yeah, branding and uh, marketing or focus on branding, which also is a long-term um, game and therefore not often not affordable for small or fast-growing startups because, again, they have to produce results very quickly. Um, the second big area where I think um, businesses can or will improve, or at least, um, not at least, but one of the areas where um, businesses have the opportunity to differentiate from each other and yeah, maybe get an edge over a competitor is um, yeah, what I want to call smart logistics and automation meaning um, yeah, you know about the supply chain problems that we're having globally right now. And um, just on a general note, <clears throat> I think the more you or your company is able to um, yeah, get an advantage here by using the data that you have uh, in a smarter way or 
start collecting data and therefore make smarter business and logistic decisions and um, yeah, automate as much as possible as it makes uh, yeah, sense um, to save costs, meaning to try to be as flexible as possible, keep your costs low, keep your fixed costs low as possible and uh, yeah, your variable costs uh, maybe a little higher so that you can uh, yeah, react very flexible on changing demand uh, cycles. So I think that's definitely an area um, on a general note um, where everybody, especially when you are in retail, in e-commerce and selling direct to consumer, need to think about, okay, how do you take control of your whole supply chain um, so that you're not dependent on yeah, other parties or maybe events that you can't control. So smart logistics and automation in general. And then, of course, especially when you are um, in the Caribbean, um, yeah, everything around online payments. I think that's still a big bottleneck um, for multiple reasons um, that I don't want to talk about today or don't have the time to talk about today. Um, but I think, um, yeah, we see more and more local solutions um, available in the Caribbean um, so that you are able to accept um, payments online. And um, therefore, that, um, of course, offers you a cash flow advantage uh, over your competitor. Um, yeah, meaning you have just funds um, way faster available. Um, you have it quickly in your bank account. Um, yeah, cash flow increases on the one hand. And then on the other hand, of course, um, you have the whole security aspect. Uh, you have to has, handle um, less cash uh, and so on. You have everything documented, um, you have everything digital, you don't have paperwork uh, and whatnot. You have everything set up um, immediately for your tax um, yeah, consultant and advisor and whatnot. So everything, all the second and third um, yeah, order effects here, um, I think, can't be underestimated. So I think on a general note, um, whenever you talk about direct-to-consumer or e-commerce, especially in the Caribbean, you need to talk about yeah, online payments or to enable your customer to pay directly online with their credit card, debit card, whatever it might be. So let's talk a little bit about strategy. What can be strategies um, to avoid some of these traps or some of these biggest um, mistakes that we have seen that even some of the biggest um, yeah, direct-to-consumer companies made in the past. And uh, remember, they have millions in funding, they have presumably um, yeah, the best um, consultants, the smartest heads uh, in their teams. And um, yeah, for some reason, again, a lot of them still fail. So yeah, let's have a look at how can we, how can we avoid that. So um, I think it's a good idea to have a look at one of the biggest uh, yeah, e-commerce companies in the world, maybe the first direct-to-consumer and e-commerce company in general. And um, of course, that's Amazon. So let me speed it up a little. Here we go. So um, for example, even Amazon started out um, yeah, as an online book retailer, basically. Um, isn't a pure retailer, a pure um, online store or e-commerce website anymore. 
of course, that's still um, a big or the biggest part of their business, but now they diversified and um, a lot of their businesses integrates very smoothly and supports um, each other. For example, um, yeah, the whole marketplace environment that they built um, and integrated in their e-commerce um, environment. Then, um, of course, AWS with the whole cloud and um, yeah, Amazon Web Services with their subscription services with Audible um, and so on. And now they even start um, yeah, setting up um, physical stores and going more into that direction. So I just want to show you with um, yeah, that example that, um, again, there is almost no pure e-commerce or direct-to-consumer company that I'm aware of um, that only has that one sales channel where they only send, sell through their online store or through their website. It always has to be kind of integrated in a yeah, more, more overall strategy um, of the overall business or company. I think, um, yeah, Tesla as an example is maybe overused because none of us um, is Elon Musk or yeah, has access to the funding and whatnot um, that he has. But nonetheless, um, I think it's a good example um, just yeah, how we might need to rethink or think different about a lot of stuff than we did in the past. Because I think although most people are aware of Tesla for the car itself and what it can do and all the implications that come uh, yeah, with changing mobility on the one hand, what I find found always interesting, especially as a you know, German um, and you know, the big or biggest part of our economy um, is the car industry directly or indirectly. And therefore, I found it always interesting to see the business side of the car business that uh, Elon Musk was changing or is changing here. Because um, as you might know, usually when you buy a car, you go into a car salesmanship um, or car dealership. And um, yeah, they are selling as a third party, basically, usually a specific brand or their contractors and only selling Audi, Mercedes, BMW, Porsche, whatever it might be. And um, yeah, that's basically the business model um, or the, the, the sales model um, of car companies over the last decades. And um, yeah, Tesla kind of flipped that script and said, why not selling cars online, um, setting up an online store, let them configure everything, um, then we don't need that middleman. We don't need to pay the salespeople commissions. We don't need to set up expensive uh, dealership structures and so on. Um, we sell directly to our customers. And um, yeah, kind of then later on added these kind of stores that you can see now where you have really these physical stores, um, which in my opinion, serve more marketing purpose um, than actual um, point of sale. Um, but nonetheless, I think um, what you also can see here, if all these parts um, work together, um, yeah, I think although Tesla, of course, is spending money on marketing, um, they yeah, pride themselves that they never spend any marketing, uh, any money on advertising and uh, yeah, just being good product or having a smart marketing strategy, they are in the news and all the time getting free press and free media. So. Yeah, just to keep in mind, maybe Tesla has the both the best of both worlds, selling online and 
selling um, directly through a physical store. So if you think that's not possible in your industry, um, yeah, think twice because um, I think if a yeah, very old and very conservative industry like the car industry can be changed, then your industry yeah, might also be able to adapt. So what is the conclusion? Again, I think the big question and from my experience when I work with companies is, um, are we talking about an existing retail retailer or are we talking about um, a direct-to-consumer startup? Because these are, at least in my experience, often completely different starting positions. I think we have to differentiate here. <clears throat> because often when we talk about um, yeah, a startup or especially venture capital, um, funded company, then the goal is not necessarily to be profitable or to have good yeah, product market fit, but um, yeah, to hit growth numbers and um, yeah, therefore justify the next funding round or um, go for the exit. That's usually the goal, um, at least from the investors or the venture capital firms that is behind um, these companies and then you are forced to maybe make decisions that are not in the long-term interest of the company um, or are we talking about um, yeah an already existing retail company maybe yeah, a family business uh, a classic retail company maybe you have your own store you're already selling direct uh, to the consumer in a classical retail uh, environments maybe you're selling through uh, yeah, marketplaces third-party vendors um, whatever it might be but you are already an existing brand you already have an existing uh, customer base you already have an existing um, yeah, revenue base and then you use direct to consumer or e-commerce as an additional sales or marketing channel or you try to yeah, integrate that in your existing strategy and grow that you know, organically um, on a healthy basis on a healthy pace and that's usually in my experience um, what is working meaning as a complementary part in an already existing business uh, we're already yeah we already have established product market fit and now we maybe want to add additional options for the customers um, maybe you want to ex improve the customer experience. Um, yeah, maybe you want to save costs, automate more, whatever the goal um, yeah, in that specific case might be. But again, we have two different starting points here. On the one hand, well, we have two different goals here. Let me rephrase that. On the one hand, we want to hit um, yeah, growth numbers and yeah, aim for an exit. That's often when we talk about funded or venture capital funded startups. Or are we talking about an already existing retail company that wants to grow, expand, and yeah, add direct-to-consumer or e-commerce as an additional sales and marketing channel? And yeah, as I mentioned now a few times, the question is, do you actually have product market fit? Because if you don't have that, then um, yeah, it becomes very expensive and can take a long, long time, and you might run out of money or runway till you actually find it. And um, that, in my opinion, is one of the reasons why a lot of these companies that I showed you in the beginning as examples um, failed in the past because they never really achieved product market fit. They just threw more money um, on the marketing and the advertising and paid more and more money to acquire a customer and yeah, therefore are losing money with every customer they acquire or with every sale they make. And 
yeah, every normal entrepreneur or every normal business person wouldn't do that um, because they would see that's just bad business practice. So, yeah, I think um, e-commerce uh, direct-to-consumer is, as we can see, not the holy grail. I think um, yeah, everybody has to have a strategy in place and the strategy is vital to actually become profitable. Because, um, of course, at the beginning, you might um, yeah, get over some hurdles, fix some problems, establish yourself um, and uh, yeah, find, uh, find the right flow. But at some point in time, um, you have to become profitable. And if you're always bleeding money or need funding or need external uh, capital to actually survive or to stay afloat, I think, um, yeah, then that's a clear sign that something is going wrong and you might want to rethink your overall business model or strategy. <clears throat> All right, that being said, um, I hope that was helpful so far. Um, and I hope, yeah, you have maybe one or two ideas um, out of this talk and maybe look, look a little different on e-commerce or direct to consumer in general. Um, again, I think it's um, something that I would definitely recommend if you already have an existing uh, customer base, if you already have an existing brand, if you already have an existing revenue base and say, okay, I want to expand here and want to yeah, improve the business with that channel. But um, yeah, I haven't really seen a pure direct-to-consumer business, a pure e-commerce company that starts from zero and has only... Um, yeah, the online sales channels. Um, and yeah, never really have seen a company that is profitable. Not that they don't make sales or don't have revenue, but that is actually profitable and healthy. All right. Thanks for joining me today. If you have any questions, as, as always, feel free to leave them in the comment section in the chat. If you yeah followed me so far, um, leave a like. Um, that yeah other people know what you think. And of course, if you haven't done so as yet, um, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if we are not connected on LinkedIn, feel free to do so. That being said, thanks for joining me today and till next time. Bye-bye.